0: The High Praises Church podcast. We hope you are blessed by today's sermon. Now, here's lead pastor Chris Starr. I'm going to preach a pretty straight message. I probably should have warned the first church. I preached and it got real quiet, like crickets were sounding chirping, you know, it was real quiet. And so uh, I'm just going to preach straight today. So prep yourself, but uh, you'll know the truth, and the truth can make you free. So Galatians chapter 5, I want to read verse 1 and verse 13. Next Sunday I'll be finishing this series on freedom. Uh, Paul's writing, the Apostle Paul, he said, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty by which Christ has made us free. Do not be entangled again with the yoke of bondage. And he went on to say in verse 13, for you, brethren, have been called to liberty. Only do not use your liberty as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. Thank you. You can be seated. Thank you for reverence the word. Um, My oldest son, Jaron, has a couple of dogs. Um, One chipper, we don't know what she is. Uh, The other one uh, is a hound dog. And if all you young adults, you know who I'm talking about, his name, official name is Finn, but we lovingly call him Finney. And Jaron has um, several acres on his property, so he built a really, really large, he fenced in a really large area. I, I'm talking about very, very large. You just have to go see it for the dogs, so they have plenty of room to run and play. I mean, it's really big. Just imagine. Well, Chipper's pretty good with that. Finn hates it. Uh, because Finn is a hound dog and Finn was born to be, not wild, but free. Well, I think he was born to be wild too. And so Finn, every chance he gets, does a jailbreak. Finn gets out, he digs a hole, he, he finds a way out of the fence, and he's gone. There he goes, boom, he's gone. And if you try to call him, Finny, come here, and food, nothing, he runs from you. Dog like that, you want to shoot a dog like that. You know, I, I had to keep him one time while Jaren was on vacation. I want to kill that dog. And, and, but I didn't, of course. But that's just Finney. And he runs, and then uh, they had to put a chip in him. And he'll run around for a couple days, and somebody will finally get him. And um, they'll take him to an the organization. They'll scan the chip and call Jaren. We got Finn again. Finn's here again. Jaren will go pick him up, and he'll do okay for a while. Then he'll jailbreak again. And he'll run around for several days, and then he finally gets hungry enough, and he comes back. And this is kind of a process with Finney. Now, I told Leah last night, I said, I'm going to use this as an introduction to my message. And I said, you know, if Finney could spot, speak in English for 60 seconds, I could hear Finney saying, y'all, rough, rough, I'm a hound dog. I am I. I'm not as nice and as big as this area is I'm not made to be pinned up in this yard. I was meant to be free. Rough, rough. I throwing the rough, rough. And I can just hear Finney saying that, and I think that's what he would say. The reason I tell you that is if you are a born-again child of God, blood-washed, your name is written in the Lamb's book of life, you're on your way to heaven, uh, Jesus is your father, let me give you some good news like I did last Sunday. I'm going to say it again. You were meant to be free. You, that's your lifestyle. You were meant to be free to serve the Lord. Jesus has set you free from the power of sin. He has set you free from the, the, the power of death so you can live for him for you can serve him. In Galatians chapter 5, verse 1, Paul said, Stand fast in the liberty by which Christ has made us free. Stand fast in the liberty. You're in liberty. You are in freedom. You were made to be free. One translation says it is for freedom that Christ has made us free. That's, that's, see what I mean? We were meant to be free. It is for freedom that Jesus saved you. It's for freedom so you can be free from sin and the stuff of this world and this life, and so you can just unhindered, unrestrained, live for Jesus every day of, of your life, okay? But if, so that's wonderful. Praise the Lord. But if you keep reading that verse, the next part, part B, says, and do not be entangled again. Entangled again. Like you were entangled once, Jesus set you free Don't get entangled again in a yoke of bondage. So he talks about getting tangled up and he talks about a yoke. I'll come back to that in in a little bit. Um, The implication of that verse is that you can, as a believer, forfeit the freedom that Jesus has given you. When Paul says don't be entangled again with the yoke of bondage, he has in mind the concept of the Old Testament ceremonial law. So can you all just stay with me for a little while? I'm going to tell you some things and take you through a story. Y'all good with that? So It doesn't matter, I'm preaching, so you might as well embrace it. Anyway, so, so Paul uh, is thinking about the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, you had three laws. You had the civil law, uh, which we have. We have civil laws here in Anderson and South Carolina in America. Then you had the, the, the moral law, which like the Ten Commandments, And then you had the ceremonial law, which had to do with Judaism. So, you know, the sacrifices and the burnt offerings and and all that stuff. And included that were things like circumcision and, and things like that. All right, here's what happened in the early church. In the early church, a lot of the people who first got saved were Jewish. They were Jews. So they came to Christ, believed, and found out the way you get right with God is not through keeping the Old Testament law, but it is by grace you are saved through faith. So they put, they put their, their faith in Jesus and leaned on the grace of God. God forgave them of their sins and saved them. So that's wonderful. But there were some of these Jews that could not let go of the past. So they were so used to keeping the law that they said, we've got a great idea. We're going we're to start teaching people that, yes, you have to believe in Jesus and have faith and by grace you're saved. But you also have to do something else. You have to keep the Old Testament law. Particularly, you need to be circumcised. Now, this would affect Gentiles. And so they started teaching this. Now, here's what I want to show you, okay? Uh, here, here's what I want you to understand. Of course, this wasn't true. Uh, it, it was syncretism. It's the blending of relig- religious beliefs. But people were buying into it and started believing it. Well, when they did, you say, were well, they still saved? No, because now they're adding a work to their salvation. So they're like totally diminishing the work. They're like trying to help Jesus save them. How many of you know you don't help Jesus save you? Like, the drowning person doesn't help the lifeguard save them. If they do, because I was a lifeguard, they usually try to drown them in the lifeguard. And when I was a lifeguard, they taught me that if they start pulling you under, you just push them off and backpedal, and, they let, and you say, I'm going to let you drown. I'll let you drown before I let you drown. Now, are you going to let me work with you or not? I'm treading water. I said, you, you cooperate with me or else I'm going to let you drown, because you're not going to kill both of us. Do you understand me? And they go, you know, at that point, they go, like, ah, whatever. And that's what, you don't help Jesus save you. Okay, but so what they were doing was wrong. Now, there was a church, so this is, what I'm talking about is Galatia. Galatia was a region in modern day Turkey, okay, Asia Minor. But Paul's base of operation was a church north of Jerusalem called Antioch. And Paul, that was where he pastored, I mean, he, he went to church and where he was launched out of, and he was a leader there in that church. Barnabas was a leader, several others. Well, these people got into the church at Antioch. And so they started teaching that, that you got to do works, and and, and Paul's like, no. And so they're they're fighting each other, and this is what Paul said. False brethren were secretly brought in who came by stealth to spy out our liberty, which we have in Christ Jesus, that they might bring us into bondage. And this is what's crazy. The, the, The people who were in this planted church plants in the Antioch church so that they could start infiltrating and try to start teaching this stuff. Now, here's what they were basically saying. They were trying to get the Jewish believers to do what they used to do before they were saved. Do you see that? We want you to go back and do what you used to do before you got saved. Now, let me just give you a warning today. Beware of people who attempt to get you to live the life that you used to live once you are born again. Normally, these are people that you used to run around with and do things with before B.C., before Christ, before you were saved. And, and they'll say things like, well, why don't you do this anymore? You used to. And you'll say, well, but it's because I'm saved. and I'm serving the Lord now. And, and they'll say, yeah, but, but but why don't you do this with us? Come on, you could still do this. And you say, no, I can't. Jesus changed my life. And then they'll say this to you. Well, look, you can still do this and be a Christian. I know people who do this stuff with us, and they, they claim to be a Christian. You ever run into that? Don't let them get you entangled again in the past that Jesus has set you free from. You tell them no. And say, stop asking me and leave me alone because Jesus has changed my life. And to be honest, you need what I got. You messed up as I was. Okay? But I'm not going to do that anymore because Jesus has set me free. Stand fast in your liberty, okay? This is, That's especially if you're young in the Lord. I'm helping you here with this. So these people come in the church in Antioch. Paul confronts them. Man, they're having it out. It's, it's a battle royale. I mean, it's, this is a big deal. And Paul's arguing with them and tell them, no, you're not going to do this. Which is so funny because Paul used to be the biggest person of the Old Testament law, the biggest proponent. And now he's the one fighting them. So it got to be such a big deal that they found out about it in Jerusalem. And so they said, look, send Paul and his group down. Send this other group down. We're going to have a, something they called the Jerusalem Council. You can read about this in Acts chapter 15. Bring them down here. We're going to bring all the apostles and the elders together. And we'll listen to this. We'll make a decision. So they came down to Jerusalem and with the Jerusalem Council. And uh, Paul's arguing his case. They argued their case. And everybody's listening. Then Peter, the apostle Peter. I mean, the Apostle Peter is one of the probably three pillars of the early church. The Catholic church thinks he was ahead of, the, you know, the church. But anyway, he, he's, you know, when Peter speaks, everybody is quiet. They listen. And Peter stands up and says, I side with Paul. We do not need to do this. I walked with Jesus for three and a half years. I'm telling you, Jesus set us free from this. And this is not what we, he has fulfilled all of that. We don't have to do that anymore because he's the fulfillment of that. And then he said this, now, therefore, why do you test God by putting a yoke on the neck of the disciples, which neither our fathers nor we were able to bear? Why do you want to test God? Now, there's two things I want to pull out of that to teach you. Number one, he said, why do you test God? So listen, choosing to go back to the Old Testament law for salvation, even though they're still believing in Jesus, they're adding it to it, that would be testing God, testing God. Do you know what testing God is? You test God when you want to do something that God has told you not to do, but you're going to start into it anyway, and you're looking at God hoping that He will approve of it. So, those of you with small children, by the way, Jaron, I've seen Marybeth, I've seen Bo do this at my house. You have a small child, and you still want them to finish their food, but there happens to be a dessert there. When you're not looking, the child grabs the cookie. And you turn back around and you say, ha, 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 I told you, you could have that when you finish what's on your plate. And the child goes and holds it right there. All the parents know what I'm talking about, right? And stares at you, kind of cuts their eyes like, what are you going to do about it? Because I'm right on the verge, and I'm watching you, and if you give just the least little bit, I'm chomping. You know what they're doing, right? Go ahead and say it. Oh, they're yeah, they're testing you. You told me you would punish me. I'm going to see if you're going to do it or not. And when you go back into things and get back into sin or get back into situations or connect with people, that God said, I've delivered you from that. Now, don't stay away from them, people. Don't connect with those people. And then you go back into that, that's testing God. Because you're saying, oh, God, I know you saved me and delivered me from this stuff, but I'm being pulled back into it, God. I'm going to go back into this, but I still want to be saved. Can I still be saved, God? Can, can you just sort of wink at me and say, it's okay. I, I got a different standard for everybody else. You and I have an understanding. Let me tell you, you don't have an understanding with God. God has an understanding with you. And so you test God. And by the way, testing God itself is a sin. You shall not test the Lord your God. So Peter says, why do you test God? And then he describes going back to the Old Testament law as putting a yoke on the neck of the disciples, which they cannot bear. Now, Okay, I mean, like some of you who are older, maybe you remember somebody using a, a yoke. I, I don't know that I've ever seen a yoke other than maybe just one or two times in my life. And a very few times where I've seen where yokes have actually been, Steve, when those Amish, do they, are they using yokes on those horses? So I guess I've seen the big Clydesdale up in Indiana. When, when we've gone up deer hunting, the, the, the Amish won't use a tractor. So I've seen, they'll pull like a team of six Clydesdales or whatever in, and so I guess I've seen yokes there. So there we go. Um, but, but you just don't see many yokes because we got John Deere's. Thank God for John Deere, right? So, but if you, you know, if you, if you don't know what a yoke is, here's a picture. So this is just a picture of a yoke somewhere in a foreign land. Uh, I mean, Maybe that's Anderson, but I don't think so. The palm trees sort of give it away. But you see the piece of wood going across, um, and each, these two animals, beasts of burden, are joined together, and that's what a yoke does. It takes so instead of one ox power, you can have two ox power, like horsepower. So anyway, you see your hook now. The man behind the plow is controlling the the, the oxen or whatever these are. But, but typical, typical case in Bible be oxen. If the, if the man didn't have control of it and you were, the two animals were connected, here's what would happen. The stronger, more dominant animal would control where they would go and would pull. And the other animal, even though would not want to go, would have to go with him because he's bound to that one. And Peter is basically saying that if you go back to the Old Testament law, we were yoked to that and it dominated us. And it didn't pull us to Christ, it pulled us away from Christ. And now we've come to Jesus and we've been set free. And you want to yoke us up, connect us with that again. And it's not going to help us in our walk with God. It's going to pull us away from God because it's useless now. So let me just correlate. Sometimes believers become yoked with someone or something they should not be joined with. I'm talking about Christians now. So I'm going to use a list. There could be more. And this is where it gets quiet. It could be an unsaved boyfriend or girlfriend. Now, if you're single and you're dating a guy or a girl and they're not saved, that's not God's will for your life. The Bible talks about being unequally yoked. Paul talks about that, being unequally yoked. That's when you connect with somebody in a relationship like that, an intimate relationship that could end up in marriage and you're you're saved and they're not. You're light, they're darkness, Paul said. You're the temple of God, they're the temple of Baal or the devil. See, there's a contrast, there's a difference. You don't go together, all right? You're not peanut butter and jelly. And so Paul says that, that you're unequally yoked. So if you say, Pastor, okay, you, you, you nail me. What do I do? You break up with them. Now, this is where it gets real quiet. Yeah, but I love them. doesn't matter if you love them. They are not qualified to be your spouse. They, they, they are not you. And if you yoke up with them, you're unequally yoked, and you're doing something that's going to hinder your relationship with God. You break up with them, and you say, until you get saved. Once you get saved, you get right with God, and you prove it, then we'll date. You don't do evangelism dating. Evangelism dating doesn't work, okay? So you break up with them. You don't become unequally yoked. Um, If you have a group of friends who do not live right, And you like to go out and hang out with them and do things like for extended periods of time. You're all going out. And you say, Pastor, aren't we supposed to be a light and shine? Absolutely. But when you get with these people and then they're trying to influence you and to do things and get involved with things that they know you don't want to do and that's against your beliefs, but they're constantly pressuring you. You don't need to be around that. You tell them no. Yeah, but they're my friends. We all grew up together in high school. We graduated together. We went to college together. It doesn't matter. Sometimes you have to, the Bible says bad company corrupts character. So you have to make decisions. Nobody said that serving Jesus was always going to be a bed of roses. Jesus said, "I'm I'm going to bring a sword between a mother and a daughter and a father and a son. So sometimes there's rifts that happen. Sometimes we get joined up with things we have no business being joined up with, like drugs or alcohol or gambling or pornography. And I'm even going to throw this in there, cigarettes and tobacco products. Years ago when I was a young man, I, I actually had it in my head. I thought if you smoked a cigarette, you were a sinner. I just couldn't see how you could be saved. And I had a guy at Praise Cathedral who was just a layman. He wasn't you know, a layman. He wasn't a pastor, but what I mean, wasn't just, but he was a layman. And, uh, we were talk- and I heard him. He said, he was older than me, wiser. He said, I don't believe cigarette smoking makes you a sinner. I never heard that. And I just kept listening. He said, I think it's a nasty habit. And he said, not, not a lot of good comes out of it either. So I had to go back and think about that. And he's probably right. But your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. And when you're doing things that damage your body, it doesn't do any good. And I'm going to make a strong statement. I said it in the first service, and man, you could have heard crickets in this church. And I've said this before, and I've had people try to challenge me on it, but I'm going to tell you right now, I've gone through my life on purpose trying to think of people that I know that use nicotine products that are full of the Holy Ghost and operate in the power of the gifts, and you would say that is a, that is a dynamic, powerful person of God. See, hear the crickets? As a matter of fact, the people I know oftentimes that smoke cigarettes are often some very carnal Christians. I know I'm probably offended about half my church right now. I hope not. But I'm just telling you what I've seen in my life. Let me just use some other things that aren't people and things. If you've been hurt from your past, you'll be amazed how people will yoke themselves up to the hurt and they can't let it go. They hurt me. How long ago was it? 20 years. So you've been yoked up to this hurt for 20 years. Have you forgiven them? No. I can't seem to find it in myself to forgive them. As a matter of fact, I'm doing everything I can not to hate them. And they're trying to live for the Lord, but they're, they're yoked up to this pain from the past and it's bitterness. Some people are yoked up with bitterness. Some people are are yoked up with fear. You know, fear is a powerful thing. And fear can just bind you up. You're afraid of everything. Some people are afraid of dying and going to heaven. Some people are afraid of death. When I was going through panic attacks in my 30s, I thought I was dying many times. And it's frightening when you're in your 30s and you have young children and a wife, young wife, you know, you don't want to die. And I remember one day, uh, I thought it was food. I thought it was nuts. I had, just, I had this whole thing going on. I was a basket case in some ways. I, I was just messed up. They didn't know much about panic attacks back then. I was trying to find answers. I thought it was food. It wasn't. And when I had my first panic attack, I was eating pecans. Well, I thought pecans cause panic attacks. If we just get rid of all the pecans, y'all, we have no more panic attacks. So then I thought it can't be just pecans. It's got to be nuts. And I wouldn't eat nuts for years. But I remember one day I was tormented and tortured by this. And I'm trying to be a pastor. And I was all by, the house, by myself in the kitchen. And I went in there and I got a spoon. We had a jar of Jif or something. And I reached in there. And Leah was nobody's home. And I got the biggest scoop of peanut butter. And I said, Gummit, I'm going to eat this. And if, this, if I die, I die. I'm tired of this. I'm tired of this. Tired of being afraid? I ate that whole big spoon of peanut butter. Well, I didn't <laughs> die. through the process I began to embrace my mortality. I remember my dad, my dad sitting here. I remember sitting in the house with my dad one day. I was telling my dad about all this. I said, Dad, I'm just at the point now. I don't care if I die. And My wise, older dad looks at me and says, Congratulations, son. You just had one of the biggest victories in your life. He said, You've come to grips with your mortality. He said, When you come to grips with your mortality, he said, That's victory. Because now you don't care whether or not you die. Now you can, now you can work on living. I got a smart daddy. (laughs) It's a torment. There are things that we get joined up with that we have no business being joined up with. Let me tell you about two things that'll happen. First of all, if you're joined up with things that you have no no business being joined up with, they'll hinder your walk with God. And second of all, if you don't deal with it, if you're not careful, eventually it'll lead you into backsliding and you'll just turn your back on. I've seen it. Y'all, I've been doing this for 30 years. I've seen it. Let me tell you a story um, about a couple that years ago went to this church, were instrumental in this church. They served the Lord. They were involved. They volunteered. I mean, buddy, they were just ground level right there with me. And time went on, and their family grew Our family just everything. And then they got with the wrong people. The up-and-coming people in Anderson. You know, the people that probably now... 20 years later, the shakers and movers, and you know, that next generation. Well, they got tied in with them. Well, those people didn't do good things. I won't even list what they did. It's not good, it's incredibly sinful. And this couple in my church started getting involved with them and doing those things. And I prayed for them and tried to help them, but no, they were out there. Well, here's what happened God kept working on them, and the husband. He got under conviction eventually and said, you know what, this is wrong. I've led my family in the wrong direction. And he said, this is wrong. And he repented, got back in church, started serving the Lord, living for Jesus. But his wife didn't. And they ended up getting divorced. Their marriage was destroyed because she wouldn't come back to the Lord. I've been doing this for a long time. And when I preach straight like this and I start calling out stuff and I start getting in, you know, digging my toe into your stuff, I know that doesn't make me popular. I really don't care. I have to be a man of God and preach. But I'm going to tell you what, I want you to make it to heaven. Do you hear me? I said, I want you to make it to heaven. And that means we cannot be entangled in things or with people that are keeping us from being all that we can be. And Lord, why do we want to live at a minimal level? when just dealing with those things can lead lead us to a place where we're living that maximized life in Jesus Christ. So back to the story, uh, Paul goes to this council and Peter stands up and advocates against going back to the Old Testament law. Yay, Peter. Well, hold on. If you read Galatians, Paul says that later Peter started going to Antioch to hang out. Now, let me just paint this picture for you. You got Jews and Gentiles. Gentiles are people that aren't Jews. They've both gotten saved. The Jews, before they got saved, would never eat with Gentiles. But now they're all saved, and living for Jesus, and all that stuff is that behind them. And what did church people do best? Yeah, we eat. So they're eating together, and they're fellowshipping together, and they're having the biggest time. They're having a big time having a church they're at fellowship hall, and they're eating, and they're just having one. They go to people's houses, and they're eating. Everybody's happy. Well, Peter comes up to visit from Jerusalem, and he's there, and he sees what's happening. He said, man, this is great. They said, come on in, Peter. We got we got country fried steak, and gravy, and we got some rice. We got some fried okra and some fried squash and some corn on the cob. We got these big cat head biscuits. Come on in here. We're going to take some honey and put it in some butter and whip it up and slap it all over there. they Come here, we're going to fix you a plate. Shouldn't preach like that this close to noon, should I? Peter's just slopping away and laughing and talking with them. And this goes on for a while. And then one day, some people decide to come visit from Jerusalem. They don't, they don't call ahead and tell anybody they're coming. They just walk in the door. There are people connected with James. James is the brother of Jesus who's now an apostle and is head of the church of Jerusalem. And I don't think James was like this, but some of his followers were. They were still into that whole Old Testament law thing. So much so that they had made up their mind, we may be saved and we got this church thing, but we're still not going to eat with these Gentiles over here who are born again like us. And they need to be circumcised. They come walking in the door. Peter's got a got a, got a fork full of country fried steak with gravy. And he looks up. And those guys walk in and they survey the room and they look straight at the apostle Peter. And they went... What are you doing? Now Peter should have went back and said, come on in. I'm eating with my brothers and sisters, your brothers and sisters. Deal with it and get in here. But no. Peter went and he caved in. And he said, excuse me. Now this isn't in the Bible, but I'm going to fill in my imagination. So Peter gets up, and they walk outside, and they say, Peter, what are you doing? He said, well, i um, eating. They said, you know Jews don't eat with Gentiles. Yeah, but yeah, well, you, why are you doing this? And they put pressure on him. And instead of, you know, Peter, who stood up at the council, wax dramatic. Why put a yoke upon the neck? Get them one-on-one. Kind of like somebody on a on a screen. They'll tap, 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 tap. All kinds of things it was just them sitting in their bedroom. Get them in an office one-on-one and see if they'll say the same thing to you face to face. All your courage disappears. And all his courage disappeared. And he said, Peter, you're not, you know we don't believe this. Why, why are you doing this? And Peter caved in. Well, Barnabas is sitting in there. Barnabas is one of the church leaders. As a matter of fact, we always say that Paul had three missionary journeys, and he did. But actually, Barnabas, the first one was his. Paul went along with him. Barnabas was in charge of the first one. I don't have time to defend that, but I can. So Barnabas is a big, big apostle, big leader. Barnabas said, where'd Peter go? Where's Peter? He said, yeah, he walked out, and he saw those guys. And he said, what are you guys doing? Peter said, well, the guys from James are here. Hey, guys, you want to come in and eat? No, we're not eating. We don't eat with Gentiles. Don't you remember that? They're not circumcised. Yeah, but they're our brothers. No, they're not our brothers and sisters. Not until they get circumcised and they got to do this thing right. Peter's not eating with them. Right? Barnabas said, Peter, you're not? He said, no. Are you sure? Yeah, we probably not. But. And the others, they said, Barnabas, this is going to hurt your ministry. This is going to hurt you. We're going to go back and talk to some people in Jerusalem. Barnabas said, well, I don't really want that. Okay, and they all went to Wendy's. It's my sermon, I'll preach it. And they went to Wendy's. You got the picture? Here comes Paul. Paul's been out doing ministry. Paul walks in the fellowship hall. Everybody's a little, lot of disorganization in there. People are rumbling, little talks going on. Peter said, what's going on in here? Well, some guys from James came up. He said, okay. What's the big deal? He knew the guys from James. He said, where's Peter? Well, he left. Where'd he go? With the guys from James. Where's Barnabas? He's not here. He left. Where'd he go? With the guys from James. Where'd they go? Wendy's. (laughs) Wendy's? Yeah, they said they're not going to eat with us. They told you that. Well, yeah. They told you. They said that we're not their brothers and sisters because we're not Jews and they're not going to eat with us and we're not circumcised. Paul said, Y'all just stay right here. I'll be back. Paul got on his F 150 Camel. He drove over to Wendy's. He walked in there in the middle of a cheeseburger. You know, none of this happened this way, right? He said, You, 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 and you up back to the fellowship hall. Now, they they jumped. They walked in, and Paul let them hold the mail. You read Galatians, and Paul said in front of everybody, in front of everybody, he rebuked Peter. Peter, the apostle of the church. He rebuked him. And said, what in this world do you think you're doing? And then he rebuked Barnabas. And then, without saying it, he called him a hypocrite. And he reminded them that Jesus had set them free from the Old Testament law. And I love this. And then he said in Galatians 2.18, for if I build again those things which I destroyed, if I did what y'all did, I would make myself a transgressor. So without doing it, he called them all sinners. Isn't that great? You ever have somebody call you something and you don't really realize it and then they walk away and you go, wait a minute, they just insulted me. You ever had that happen? I have. They walked away. Wait a minute, they just insulted me. And that's what he did. He called them sin. And they were, because they were they were practicing partiality, favoritism. So there's three lessons. There are three lessons that I want to show you from this. One, if forfeiting one's freedom can happen to the apostle Peter. It can happen to you and it can happen to me. We have to be careful, brothers and sisters. We have to watch. We have to make sure. We have to stay. You say, but Pastor, I'm just saved. Can't I just live my life and not worry about it? I'm going to heaven. No, you have to worry about it. You have to to make sure that you keep those things out of your life that will hinder your relationship with God and things that God says no to. And you stay right with God. Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12, this is really important now, therefore let him or her who thinks he stands or she stands take heed lest he fall. When you think you're standing is when you got to watch it. That's when you get in trouble. When you think I got it together, that's when the devil says, yeah, you're unsuspecting and I'm going to hit you. So that's lesson one. Lesson two, if you forfeit your freedom, now this is strong, okay, but if you forfeit your freedom and you go back and get entangled again in things and you let people pull you in and you start feeding your flesh and you, you see your freedom as a license of sin, you are a hypocrite and a sinner. Now, I didn't say that. Jesus. the Bible says that. Don't shoot the messenger. But you're a hypocrite and a sinner. And this will kill, utterly kill your testimony. It will destroy your testimony. And you're at work and you're trying to invite people to church and you want to be a light shine Jesus, but you're saying and doing things and acting in ways that the people at work see what's happening. Your is shot. This is the problem of going back to the things that and the people that want to pull you away from God. Here's the third lesson. People are watching your life. People are watching your life. Your kids are watching your life. Your parents are watching your life. Your siblings are watching your life. Your friends are watching your life. Your coworkers are watching your life. Young converts are watching your life. Don't you want to influence them to do what's right and to be closer to Jesus? This is where you can answer me. That's not rhetorical. Don't you want to? I do. Do you? Yes. I want to influence the people in my life to get closer to the Lord not to do things that get away from the Lord. I, I was reading my Bible this week from my, just my own personal study, and I was in Mark chapter 9, and I read verses, verses 43 through 48. I'm not going to read it to you, but it's basically this. Jesus warns us. He said, if there is a young convert, somebody new in the Lord, do not do anything to lead them into sin to make them stumble. Don't use your influence to make them stumble and say or do something or get involved in something that I've saved them and freed them from. And he said, let me tell you how serious this is. He said, it would be better for you to hang a hundred, several hundred pound millstone around your neck and somebody dump you into into the middle of the sea and you die than for you to influence somebody that I have saved to get back entangled again into sin and possibly even just backslide and end up going to hell. That's pretty heavy, isn't it? And then he said, let me tell you how you're supposed to do this. Now, listen to me closely. He then goes on to say, if your, if your right hand offends you, causes you to sin, cut it off. It's better to go to heaven with one hand than hell with two. And if your foot offends you, causes you to stumble, and fent, cut off your foot, because it's better to go to heaven with one foot than go to hell with two. And if your right eye offends you, causes you to sin, pluck it out, because it's better to go to heaven with one eye than it is to go to hell with two. Now, listen to me. Jesus was not advocating self-mutilation. Please don't anybody hear my sermon and go out here and chop off your hand or your foot or pluck out your eye. I am not paying your medical bills. That's dumb. Jesus is being metaphorical. Jesus has this way as the master teacher and preacher of using extremisms to get your attention. And that kind of preaching will get your attention if the preacher says, if you do something, something's starting to make you sin, I want you to get an ax and chop your hand off. Well, that'd make me sit up in a service. Excuse me, what did he just say? But you can see, if you're discerning, you can see what he's saying. He's, He's not, he got their attention by saying, but he doesn't want you to chop your hand off. That's not gonna help. What he's saying is, if there's something you're involved in, that's causing you to sin, cut it off. Cut it off. If there are places you're going and things you're getting involved in that are causing you to get in sin and do wrong and it's pulling you away from God, cut it off. If there are things you're looking at that ultimately cause you to sin or are hindering you in your walk with God, and it's tempting you and you, you're sinning, and then you ask God to forgive you and then you go back and do it again. And you ask God to forgive you and go back to do it again and you ask God to forgive you and you're in this cycle. I can tell you how to stop the cycle. Cut it off. Stop looking at it. Chirp, 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 chirp. That's the three lessons. Here's the good news. If you are in bondage to something, yoked to someone entangled in something and I made a list, but the list could go on and I don't really, I made a list because sometimes it's good to make a list and some things need to be talked about. But if you're entangled, yoked up with something, connected with something and you, listen, Jesus can set you free. When Jesus was on this earth, that, that's what he did. He set people free. He'd run into a demoniac and he would set him free from the devil. He'd run into somebody sick with a disease and he'd set them free from the disease. He'd encounter a corpse at a funeral and he'd set them free from the cold grip of death. He would encounter a sinner and he'd set them free from their sin. Go and sin no more. It's what Jesus does. And if he did it then, I came here this morning to tell you he can do it again. And he can do it for you. And you can be free from whatever it is that has you bound. It may feel like the entanglement Is so strong that it's impossible to be free. And that's the lie of the devil. But listen to me. God has the power to break the chains. And you can be free of that cycle, free of the grip of whatever that thing is. There is a verse in the Bible that has been preached, and oftentimes it's, Maybe misquoted a little bit, but it doesn't do any damage. I'm, I'm going to give you not the whole verse, but the verse, the part of the verse that's often misquoted. It's Isaiah chapter 10, verse 27. Isaiah wrote and said, and the yoke will be destroyed because of the anointing oil. The yoke will be destroyed. We had, we had some anointing oil around here somewhere. Somebody stole my anointing oil. Where would it go? Where's it at? Is it in front of me? Ah, they tucked it away that's a bottle of anoint of oil, olive oil. We keep it around here because we anoint people. We do what the Bible says and we anoint people and pray for people. In the Old Testament, in the Bible, oil is symbolic of the Holy Spirit. And anointing is when you rub oil on people. Sometimes they'd pour oil over their head. You would anoint things, put place oil on things and you would anoint people, prophets, priests and kings. Once they are anointed, they are separated to God for holy purposes, not for common things, not profane things, not for worldly things. Are you getting the picture here? We've been anointed. The Bible says we have an unction and anointing from the Holy One. We are anointed children of God. We are not supposed to be wrapped up in the things of this world. The anointing is to keep us from those things. You ever notice you get, a, you get conviction when you do the wrong things? Yeah, that's the anointing of the Holy Spirit operating in your life. The work of the Holy Spirit is rubbing you to get you back to God, rubbing you and making you feel bad about your sin. But the anointing oil is what you put on people. And whoever was anointed would lead Israel in victory and in freedom and in the truth of God's word. When you were anointed, you became a powerful vessel. The Holy Ghost would come on you in power. Israel was bound up at the time by Assyria. They were in captivity, see? They were in bondage. But Isaiah said, don't worry about it. God's got some anointing that he's going to put on somebody. He's going to raise up a deliver. And he said, Assyria is not going to have its yoke on us forever. The anointing of God. God's going to send somebody that's anointed, and they're going to destroy this yoke, and Israel will be free once again. And the principle behind that, brothers and sisters, in this era of the Holy Spirit and the power and the unction of God, which we understand being a Pentecostal church, Is that the anointing of God can destroy the yoke of anything or anyone that you're connected to. And you don't think God can set you free. But he whom the Son sets free is free indeed. There's no chain so strong. No relationship so deep. There's nothing. No addiction so bad that the anointing of God cannot loose you and set you free. The the bitterness that you have, the unforgiveness that you have. I can't forgive them. Oh yes you can. One touch of the Holy Spirit and the power of God and you could say God all these years I've carried this but I forgive them and I release them and I turn them over to you and if you'll just pray that it'll feel like a dam will break inside of you and all that bitterness and unforgiveness will come rushing out and the peace and the forgiveness and the love of Jesus will fill your soul and you'll walk out of this church a different person. Your family, your family will say, you are not the same. The anointing makes the difference. Thanks for listening. Be sure to join us Sunday mornings. Our service times are 9 o'clock and 1045. For more information, please visit us at highpraises.org.